Good Friday morning to you on this April 15th. I'm just crunching some quick numbers here. Uh, Ryan Jesperson with you, John Hicks in studio. And I've just learned some some sad news, and I'm crunching some numbers really quickly because I want to be able to make an assertion. Uh, Mike Bossy, the New York Islanders great, has passed away. Oh, really? This morning, yeah. They've, I just oh. saw it. Like, I saw it literally. So it's it's uh, 8.31 Mountain Time. It's 10.31 Eastern. We'll mm-hmm. be talking to Supriya Dovetti from Toronto uh, Live in just a moment. A good morning to you. I saw it literally at like 8.28. So just we're topping up our coffees. We're putting on our headphones. We're getting ready to go. I see that Mike Bossy's passed away. Oh, wow. Uh, not, even, not yet 70 years old. And I don't know the details. And it's obviously sad for his family and for the hockey world. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, as I'm walking back to studio, Mike Bossy, uh, we're not a sports show, but we're also just a real life show. And, and Mike Bossy, when it comes to the all-time great goal scorers. Yeah. Might actually be the greatest. Way up there. Gretzky's got the record at 894, 894 NHL goals, and Alex Ovechkin's closing in on him. And people are wondering if, if, if and when Ovechkin surpasses Gretzky, Ovechkin will be revered as the greatest goal scorer of all time. Mm. However, um, I'm just crunching these numbers just really quickly. So Alex Ovechkin, uh, to this point, has played 1,269 games in the National Hockey League, 776 goals. Incredible. For a goals per game average of 0.61. Wow. Pretty good. Yeah. 0.61. Wayne Gretzky, 894 goals. That's the NHL record. And, of course, an astounding, a whopping 2,857 points. Yeah. 894 goals in 1,487 games for a goals per game average of 0.6. So just below Ovechkin. Mm -hmm. But you have to take into account that that, that's Gretzky's total to the end of his career. Mm -hmm. Ovechkin hasn't really started to drop off yet. If he's going to, we'll see. Mike Bossy, in a career hampered by injuries and everything else, only played 752 games. That's it. But still scored 573 goals for a goals per game average of 0.76. So he's the one. Arguably the greatest goal scorer in NHL history. Like 50 is a huge deal. 50 goals is a huge deal. Mike Bossy only had one season in the National Hockey League where he did not score 50. Wow. And that's when he scored 38 in 63 games, which is fantastic. So unbelievable. Check this out. In the years he played, he played from 1977, great year, to 1987, played 10 years. His goal total is 53, 69, 51, 68, 64, 60, 51, 58, 61, 38. I'm referencing HockeyDB.com. Incredible. So thoughts Thank- are with the Bossy family and, and Mike Bossy, one of the all-time greats, of course, out of Montreal, Quebec. Big loss there. Big loss. We've got a great show in store, Sapria Devetti, uh, in just a moment. And then later on today, I'm looking forward to this Real Talk Roundtable. You know, every Friday we bring you a roundtable at 9 o'clock Mountain, 11 o'clock Eastern. And this week, it's National Medical Laboratory Week. Yeah. And we're always talking. Yesterday, we had Dr. Darren Markland. We had uh, Dr. Lenora Saxinger on. We always talk to the doctors. We talk to the researchers. We talk to the scientists uh, in many circumstances. When's the last time? That we talked to uh, laboratory. I mean, we're going to be talking to people that work in transfusion medicine, that work in transplants. Uh, we're going to talk to an up and comer, the president of the uh, Medical Laboratory Students Association, which is going to be great. But these technologists that we're going to be talking to are going to give us a sense of how COVID has impacted them, why their uh, jobs are so important, how they mm-hmm. essentially keep the healthcare system running. We're going to be shining the spotlight on people that don't always spend a lot of time in the spotlight. I was just going to say that they don't get enough shine, I don't think. I'm really interested to hear what they have to say today. 
Plus, of course, we know that people are going to be joining us. Uh, a lot of folks have, a lot of the little ones have school today. I didn't get the memo. I don't, do they? Yeah. I no, feel like traffic is really light today. Super light. On the way to work. So you, so. Get, you get Friday off, you get Monday off, which is great. We're yeah. here with you Friday. We will be taking Monday as a stat, and then we'll be back with you Tuesday. Our little guy, Wyatt, wakes up today. And uh, I didn't get the memo. I didn't get the family memo. That doesn't mean it was not sent. It just means it was not received. So that's my fault. And he goes, hey, daddy. And he stretches. And I go, you got to get up, kiddo. It's time to get up. Yeah. I, I sort of thought he was running late a little bit. And he goes, do I have school today? And I go, well, yeah. <laughs> and his, his, eye, his eyes kind of look at me. And he goes, mommy said I don't have school. And I was like, uh. And then he goes, mommy, you said I don't have school. And I said, and she goes, you don't, Wyatt. Daddy doesn't know. You don't have school. She goes, you're supposed to be sleeping in, Wyatt, which yeah. is a message to me. And so I was like, my apologies to Carrie, my apologies to Wyatt. But to everybody else, I, I suspect that we might have a, a, a bit of a larger crew yeah. uh, when it comes to those tuning in live joining mm-hmm. us this morning, which is great. This show happens because of our amazing sponsors like Bitcoin Well. The team at Bitcoin Well is always, of course, they're busy. They've, they've got this amazing tech team developing software that powers their Bitcoin ATMs. They've got more than 200 of them across the country. They're actually Canada's first publicly traded Bitcoin ATM company based right out of Edmonton, which is super cool. But then, of course, they're also in the business of helping people decide what their best approach is when it comes to Bitcoin, when it comes to cryptocurrency. It's not for everybody. It's not a great fit for everybody. If you have concerns, if you're trying to make the decision, you don't want to miss the boat, but you don't want to miss the mark either when it comes to your investment, your savings plan, whatever it is. I'd never tell you to buy Bitcoin, but if you're thinking about it and you want to go to somebody you can trust, I recommend Benny and his team at Bitcoin Well. You'll find them under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. When Sapria Devetti joins us, we're going to talk to her about the conservative leadership race. Obviously, Pierre Polyev is getting the big crowds together. That's one of the stories. It doesn't mean that he's the only one that's campaigning, though. Why are you laughing when I bring up the crowds? Uh, just because I feel like that's... Uh, I'm sure you'll touch on it, but I'm sure it's all they're talking about. Is the, the crowds. The crowds, the crowds, the crowds, the crowds. But is he saying anything there? It's strategy. It's the crowds, yeah. yeah he's, he's, he's saying... Uh, I mean, it, it's the campaign trail. So he's going to be making promises to people. He's going to be talking about what freedom will look like. They want to make Canada the most free country on earth again. Uh, I always enjoy these conversations when it comes to, the, you know, the buddies were throwing darts or when it comes to the around the family dinner table, as long as it doesn't bore the kids too much. But I'm always curious to know people that, that campaign to get Canadians freedoms back. What are the freedoms that they feel like they've lost <laughs> Right. And I like when people can articulate it because I, I, I want to sort of like put that into context. People that are that are that still have there's a guy that's been doing work, a contractor in our neighborhood at one of these houses. And mm. he's still got he's got his big truck, a big dually parked outside the house where he's working. He's got the two big Canadian flags flying off the back yeah. and, and the whole rear tailgate just says freedom. And, uh, you know, respectfully, who wants to argue against freedom? Maybe anybody wants to argue against, but I, but I'd love to pick that guy's brain. I mean, I wouldn't really, if I wanted to badly enough, I already would have, but I'd be curious to pick his brain with regards to what are the freedoms that that you feel like you don't have? I mean, mask mandates have been lifted. Vaccine mandates are essentially gone. You can pretty much these days, I mean, there's probably nuance based on where you are in Canada, but you can, you can pretty much, if you're unvaccinated and not wearing a mask, walk into anywhere you want in the country, right? 
for all intents and purposes. You can make your way into restaurants. You're not really limited in any capacity anywhere on anything. You can speak out against the government. You can drive your truck to Ottawa and park it downtown for five weeks. I'm not really sure where these freedoms are that are missing, but well, let's find out what our next guest has to say about this. Everybody loves Sapria Devetti. You know her. She's on our editorial board, and we're lucky to have her here. She, she's a lawyer. She's a big deal. She does a bunch of work for a bunch of universities, and of course, we're thrilled when she's able to make time for us here on Real Talk. A good morning to you, my friend. How are you holding up right now? Uh, pretty good. It's uh, going to be gloomy here later, I think, and for the rest of the weekend, so just Hoping to get outside at some point and enjoy some sunshine while I can. We woke up to snow today. Yeah. 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 Which is good. Although, I mean, this is sort of a little bit gnarly. I don't think you have your breakfast in front of you, but one of of my tasks coming up this weekend was to do the spring cleanup of the backyard with two dogs, if you know what I mean. And the the fresh snowfall this morning has kind of just helped me forget about all of it. (laughs) So so that's a good thing. Hey, check this out. So, so Pierre Polyev touched down in Calgary, South Calgary at Spruce Meadows a couple of days ago, and then he was in Edmonton. Um, check. The, have you seen this? Johnny, you want to roll this crowd video? This is the crowd that gathered in Edmonton. Supposed to be, I thought Edmonton was was the liberal home turf in Alberta. I thought this was the Orange Island. I thought this was Rachel Notley's background backyard, but check this out. This video, courtesy of the independent conservative outlet Western Standard, they're loving this stuff. That's Pierre Polyev surrounded by, I don't know, Supriya, what's that? 5,000, 6,000 people in there? Uh, music yeah, I, just I, pounding and there he is uh crowds 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 is all anybody's talking about when it comes to pierre's campaign so far yeah and i mean it's really easy to see why right like i mean he had that crowd in edmonton there was the crowd i think just the night before in in calgary that was equally impressive at like five thousand ish people if not more and so Whenever a politician is drawing crowds, um, you know, people are going to talk about it, particularly the media. And I think there's an excitement with respect to his campaign that you're not necessarily seeing explicitly in some of the other conservative um, leadership campaigns right now. People hear your political analysis on power and politics and and, and other shows, and I want you to analyze this. You've got the prime minister's former principal secretary, Gerald Butts, who joined us a few weeks ago. Having this to say about the campaign itself and the strategy, he says the Polyev campaign is putting big crowds together because they want the only media story to be big crowds and to starve the other campaigns of oxygen. And so far, it's working out pretty good for them, uh, says Butts. That's quite the crowd. How big is the crowd? Uh, Where is that crowd? Why is the crowd so white? And what does that big crowd want? He says, at this point, only the noun crowd matters is he on to something yeah man jerry's a smart guy right and this isn't his first rodeo either um i think in either that tweet thread or an adjacent uh, tweet thread he also made the point that it was very similar with respect to trudeau um in 2015 and that's where when a lot of media attention really started to galvanize and and talk about the the energy that trudeau was bringing and and the different factions of the you know liberal voting coalition he was sort of bringing in and it, it makes sense, um, but to Jerry's, I think, overall point with respect to that's all we're talking about now, I think is a little bit more interesting only because you saw Jean Charest 
uh, in recent uh, days sort of go a little bit more on the attack, specifically talking about Pierre Polyev's um, support of the Freedom Convoy and how, you know, laws and legality are, isn't a buffet. Like, you can't just pick and choose what laws you're going to obey, yada, yada. So I, I, I think, you know, that was also a very concerted effort on the Chirac campaign's part, obviously, because we're not really talking about, um, you know, some of the more winking and, and nudging that um, Pierre has done throughout, not just, you know, the Freedom uh, Convoy, but throughout his career as a politician to conspiracy theories and, and the like. But, you know, crowds matter uh, when it comes to the optics uh, and, uh, and the momentum of a campaign that you want to project. And, you know, the other thing is that I've seen a lot of people being like, well, just because they're crowds doesn't mean they're going to vote for him. But it's like, come on, like, there's not some like, backwater B team running Pierre's campaign, right? Like he has a very smart team of people around him. For sure, they're collecting the data of like every single person that's walking into these uh, venues and are following up and ensuring that, you know, they're gonna either purchase a membership and then, you know, subsequently vote for Pierre. So I, I, I it'll be interesting to see, you know, how this shakes out. Still a lot of time. They don't vote till September, but right now Pierre's got the, I mean, he's very clearly the front, the front runner. How, how would you characterize his the messaging of his campaign at this point he's talking a lot about um freedom he wants to restore canada as the most free nation in the world he's talking a lot he's really i think we talked to linda Steele about this earlier this week tapping into to the rising cost of living across the country yeah. which is a very real thing you're looking at five plus percent inflation housing costs are out of control including in your home city um so d would you evaluate his messaging as as effective it's still relatively early in the campaign can you put your finger on maybe a key issue that each of the significant candidates have touched on is there enough of a campaign identity for for mr polyev mr Charest, uh even patrick brown dr leslin lewis uh, so i would say probably pierre and jean Charest have the most um like distinct sort of campaign vibes to them with Pierre, it's very clear that he is simultaneously able to tap into the heart and the core of the conservative base, as well as, and you saw that with his housing video, tapping into uh, younger anxieties and you know younger folks with respect to bringing them into the conservative fold. I mean, I don't know a single millennial um, or Gen Zer um, that isn't concerned about the cost of housing. Uh, likewise, if you speak to you know boomers who have millennial children who are unable to purchase a home, um, it's very you know infrequent that you don't hear them also complain about the cost of housing. And so it's it's interesting that that's the sort of play that he's doing, and I think it, it makes a lot of sense. The Charest camp, you know, this week was was also somewhat n novel in insofar as you know he came out with a childcare plan, and it's uh, you know I mentioned it's early days. The conservatives don't vote until September, and you know just a few years ago it would have been unheard of um, for conservative leadership candidates to be talking about housing prices, right, um, as well as childcare, because it was only a short while ago that the conservative talking point about high housing prices was simply like, oh, these are just entitled millennials. They should just drive out further. It's because they just want to live in these urban cores um, and, you know, they're too spoiled. They should drive until they qualify, right. so, so to say. And like with childcare as well, it's like, oh, well, you know, we're just going to 
cut people a check or give them back their money and then they can figure it out how to do it. And, you know, now it's sort of the landscape has changed. And that was what I find really interesting about this. Yeah, I, I saw a tweet. I thought it was people are talking about, uh, you know, affordability and cost of living. And somebody pointed out that Pierre Polyev's made it pretty clear that the national child care plan might be one of the first things to fall um, if he was prime minister under his leadership of the conservative party, if, if, if he were to be able to form government, somebody said for a lot of families, that's going to have a big impact on affordability and not in the right direction. And I thought that that was a valid criticism. It might at least be something that Pierre Polyev would have to answer to. It'd have to dissuade people from becoming too concerned about that because that's the type of thing. I mean, you see people tweeting about it all the time, people talking about it in their parent groups and their parent circles going, our child care all of a sudden just got cut in half. Yeah. And for a lot of families, that's a huge deal. And that would be a valid concern that people would have across the country once that starts to become part of the mainstream conversation. Yeah, 100%. And the other thing that's odd about, you know, him going on the attack of these childcare deals, it's like, it's not like it was unilaterally implemented by uh, the Trudeau liberals, right? Like cons many conservative premiers had to come to the table and hammer out these deals. And so it has the backing, presumably, of the conservative premiers and those governments who agreed to implement these sorts of mechanisms. And the, it's so it's interesting that, you know, he's, he's going so, so hard on that. And the other thing I would say is that it's incredibly difficult to take something away from people once they already have it, right? It's all well and good to say, like, I'm against it, I'm against it, I'm against it. But once people are seeing the real savings, you know, in terms of like actual dollars that are remaining in their bank accounts, they're going to be very reticent to be like, oh, yeah, OK, so fucking let me just burn this money then. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's 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 weird. Did you read the the uh, Chris Sims from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation in the Sun Papers? Did you read or call him on? On the tax on trucks. Have you seen this? This is a story that I know a lot of people are talking your face, which people get your whole face just twisted. So here's the deal. The federal government has an, an emissions reductions plan and buried on page 192 of it uh, is there. There's a reference to a green levy on pickup trucks. And uh, it, it's got a lot of people talking. So the Canadian Taxpayers Federation submits an editorial to Sun newspapers. They run it. It prompts Alberta's premier and others Yesterday to tweet, the Liberal NDP coalition is planning a punishing tax on working people for buying pickup trucks. That's on top of the carbon tax and their inflationary policies. Why do the Ottawa elites want to punish millions of Canadians for working and living normal lives? And then Jason Kenney posted a video as well, standing in front of a bunch of pickup trucks, which is ballsy because he lost his truck credibility a couple of weeks ago. I digress. Yeah. The federal environment truck credibility as I do at this point. <laughs> yeah, like, do, come on. do you not have truck credibility anyway? So he, <laughs> so the federal environment minister Stephen Gilbo tweets this in response. He says, "I'm once again happy to clarify this, as it seems conservative politicians are still confused. The federal government has not proposed a fee on trucks. A recommendation by an independent body in a report is not government policy." Uh, the independent body suggests a levy of about $1,000 on a half-ton truck, about $4,000 on a one-ton truck. People are saying if they're work trucks, they shouldn't be charged. What's your read on this? My read on this is that our discourse is so dumbed down to the point where this is presented as actual government policy. And this has all sorts of fucking implications down the road, right? We can't normalize this kind of 
misinformation uh, to be used as talking points. And so just to give you know your, your listeners uh, a little bit of background here, the, the independent advisory body that you're referring to, it's the net zero advisory body. It was created via the Net Zero Emissions Accountability Act. And what they do is that they make a bunch of recommendations to the government, right? So it, they made this recommendation um, and whatever the recommendations merits are, it's not government policy, but the interesting thing is that it is being positioned as though it is official liberal government policy that's coming for your, your trucks, and that's a lie. It's not a mistake. It's not less like massaging facts. It's a lie, and we need to be able to call things that are lies lies because when we don't it just muddies the discourse to the point where you know there's no real objective truth and that is incredibly problematic and you know the other thing that i would say to liberals about this is that i i you know you put up that tweet uh that the environment minister put up i, I think he went on a, a, a couple of tweets he may have even screen grabbed something that pierre polyev um at some point had you know come into my feed where he screen grabbed it and was like this is just disinformation like, okay, like it is, but you also can't fall for the bait every time uh, conservatives are going to do this because as the liberals go forward with, you know, an online harms bill that will presumably tackle the problem of myths and disinformation, we're going to get into it in, in a way in which it's going to be framed as a liberal advantageous policy when it's not, right? Like we need to be able to operate in a political environment in which truth is truth. And it, it, it will, uh, anyway, it's just whatever. I could write about this forever. But well, can, just, look, can, can we, like, is, is that even possible? I don't want to sound like the pessimist. I don't want to be the glass half empty guy, but truth is truth uh, according to whom? You know? Yeah, I mean, I get like, yeah, I guess, but like, guess. truth is truth, right? Like, that's we could go back and forth, just being like, well, isn't truth truth? Uh, <laughs> I don't know if truth is truth, but like, it's it's just one of these things in which all political parties will do spin, right? And sure. like, the the leftist parties do it all the time. Right leaning parties do it all the time. The difference with this is that it's it's not just massaging numbers you're not just you know picking and cherry picking facts you're saying something that is objectively and demonstrably false mm. it gets printed in a legitimate mainstream newspaper it's then repeated on talk radio and it then gets filtered down to like the online more partisan outlets like the Canada Prouds, like the post-millennial, like the, you know, and then it just, you have people that end up living in alternate reality bubbles because they're just subject to a completely different set of facts. The uh, conversation around COVID right now is, is uh, an interesting one and a difficult one because numbers wise, number one, what are the numbers? This maybe brings us back to yeah. truth is truth because there's not as much testing anymore and there's certainly not daily briefings anymore. I was talking to John just a while ago about uh, if you think back six months to pre, I guarantee you could have. You could have told us uh, on a I, I could have said how many people are in Ontario ICUs and I guarantee you would have got it within five or ten. Right. Yeah. How many active cases are there? How many active cases across Canada? No, nobody knows now. Uh, but we do know it, when you talk to the medical professionals, they say the numbers are, are arguably, depending on jurisdiction, worse now uh, than they were back in December. We talked to Drs. Lenora Saxinger, uh, Dr. Darren Markland yesterday. If people missed it, the ICU doctor, the infectious disease doctor with some great takes and some really straight talks and plain language about how this is impacting Canadians right now. How is this 
kind of laissez-faire approach to COVID where a lot of people, quite frankly, are just moving on. I mean, I had a truth moment yesterday where I divulged to the audience. I had one of those am I the asshole moments where I looked around in a, a drugstore in the Canadian Tire and I'm like, I'm not wearing a mask. The person to my right is the person to my left is. And I'm going, what am I doing? Like, I, I guess I just kind of got used to going into a restaurant, not having a mask. Mentally, I'm ready to flick the switch, but it's not over. And we want to have this real talk. How is that impacting what's going on in Ontario? I know you guys are, what, a couple months away? Like, beginning of June is the deadline for a provincial election. How's that factoring into conversations in eastern Canada? I mean, look, it, the Ontario government basically decided that they were going to roll the dice with this wave um, by, you know, hoping, I guess, that uh, access to medication like Paxlovid, for example, early into an infection, plus the protective effects of vaccines would, would do their thing. And, you know, there is some hope and optimism with re respect to at least wastewater surveillance. It's, it's not entirely clear because it is kind of a, a noisy data set to, to, to begin with, but there is some you know reason for, for optimism here, but we're completely missing the, the, the or you know dropping the ball when it comes to issues uh, post-infection, long COVID, post-COVID complications, how it already exacerbates, um, you know, existing conditions that people may have and then, you know, present to the hospital afterwards. Um, there are a, a, at least a few hospitals in Ontario who that have already, um, you know, paused temporarily. Again, non-emergency um, surgical and other medical procedures. Like all of this has knock-on effects that we're just pretending was not gonna happen or is gonna go away. And then the other you know, aspect to all of this that I think we're sort of missing is that this virus is gonna continue to mutate. So as much as we let it proliferate and as, as much as we you know, allow for rampant, unchecked community transmission, we're just allowing it to fuck us over more down the line. Like it's, it's. I, I, I get it. Hospitalizations and saving the healthcare system was like our one, you know, true north star that we wanted to avoid. But we also have to consider other mitigation efforts, like cleaning indoor air. How many places have you been to, Ryan, um, that have actual proper HEPA filters or other filtration or have the CO2 monitoring, right, to tell you what the air quality is? Like wearing masks, I get it. It's annoying. But if you're in a large indoor public space, it does cut transmission. Wearing masks in schools, like that helps, right, with transmission. It helps with, with making sure that people don't get sick. These are, these are all low-cost, low-barrier things that we can do to just protect one another. And I get it. We're all sick of it. I'm sick of it. You're sick of it. But it's just, this is our reality. And instead, our politicians, and to be frank, like a lot of our public health leaders who have, you know, parroted what the politicians have, have been saying, um, have led us to this place where people are over it because we were basically told that as long as we got our vaccines, that was somehow going to singularly get us out of this thing. And that was always a really myopic and dumb way to go about it. Yeah. I think about faith communities today too. There's, there's kind of this intersection this time of year where you've got yep. people observing Ramadan, Passover, Easter, and uh, you, you kind of wonder what that might mean. Misaki, if you're, you know, right. if you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so a lot of stuff going on. There's gonna be a lot of people getting together in homes in tight spaces. Let me ask you a personal question. Like, do you what what's your mask? Like when you're driving around town, um, you've got your little one with you. Do you have a like an N95 hanging off the, the turn signal in your car? I mean, are you always wearing one wherever you're going? Where are you at right now with it? 
Yeah. I mean, if I'm going into like a grocery store, if I'm going into the pharmacy um, and I'm bringing her in, like she has a, a little kid N95 on, mm -hmm. I have an N95 on. She's also too young to get vaccinated though. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I've mentioned this, like, I don't expect everyone to have my sense of risk tolerance because I do have, um, I live in a household with that, that's at higher risk. My daughter's unvaccinated. My husband has uh, an autoimmune condition. And my in-laws also live with us. So like, you know, like don't follow what I'm doing if you think it's too strict. But I, and I, so I think everybody needs to sort of adjust their own risk tolerance to what their household risk is. And that's fine. But, it, you know, it, it's also you're putting the onus on um, business owners who would perhaps like their patrons to remain masked to have to deal with like asshole anti-maskers, right? And for people to give them a false sense of security. And so it'll be, I hope everything is okay, but it'll be interesting to see how things go down the line. Yeah, it's cool to see Dr. Bradley Martin chiming in right now. He's watching us live on YouTube as we speak. He was on the show a while ago, um, uh, a real talking physician out of beautiful Hinton, Alberta. Sapria, not sure if you've ever passed through there. It's, it's, it's the gateway to yeah. the Rocky Mountains. It's the gateway to Jasper National Park. Anyway, he says, I have patients over six months out from acute infection with still very poor lung function. That, that whole idea of long COVID, I think of my uncle Keith who lives down in California. My dad's older brother had polio like way back in the day, obviously. And still like uncle Keith is in his mid early to mid seventies. And um, like his so-called strong hand is not his strong hand. He can't, you know, he can't pour a, a, a jug of water or a glass of wine. He can't pour with a bottle of wine with his arm outstretched. 50, 60, no, like 65 years probably removed from polio infection. That was kind of like that generation had an understanding of the longer term impact of some of these diseases. We're talking about long COVID now. We talked to the so-called long haulers or those that are living with long COVID. We've had a few on the show and they paint a picture for us. But really, we're, we're still too early to really understand the implications of what that's going to be for some people, yeah. probably for the rest of their lives. And that's messed up that we're just like, let the virus go because the more it infects people, even yeah. if it's a small percentage that end up with post-COVID complications or long COVID, if that number is big enough, the absolute number ends up being quite onerous on our healthcare system. Mm -hmm. Let me ask so. you before you go, we always appreciate your time. We know everybody wants to talk to you. Elon Musk wants to buy Twitter. He owns 9% of it right now. He said no to joining the board because uh, your ownership's capped at 15%. That's the theory anyway, as to why he didn't want to be on the board. He wants to buy the whole thing for just over $40 billion. Here's what a few people have to say about this. I just cherry picked these off my own Twitter feed, a couple local opinions, and then one from a, another pretty prominent rich dude. Uh, Corey Hogan, co-host of the Strategist podcast, also a member of our editorial board, says as of 3.17 p.m. Eastern yesterday, Wall Street's verdict appears to be that Elon Musk is full of shit. You could see that Twitter's uh, stock price was dropping there. Here was another one from Aaron Hoyland, who joined us on the show a while ago. says, we need to be crystal clear that when people like Elon Musk say Twitter needs more free speech, what they mean is that the completely inadequate rules that are in place to protect people from hate speech and harassment are too much and need to be eliminated. And the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, Mark Cuban, love him or hate him, said, my conclusion, Elon Musk is fucking with the SEC. His filing allows him to say he wants to take a company private for 54 bucks, 20 cents a share versus his quote. I'm considering taking Tesla private at 420 bucks funding secured. The price goes up. His shares get sold. Profit goes up. And the SEC is like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> that from Mark Cuban. Uh, generally speaking, take it wherever you want. What do you make of this offer from Elon Musk to buy Twitter? Uh. 
he has too much money. Like, I, I don't know, man. Like if you have billionaires that have, are just like looking to figure out how to get to Mars and are trying to figure out how to buy up platforms so that they can, you know, ultimately control the kinds of speech that they want to do, then it's just like, do something better with your time, do something better with your money. I mean, I don't, I, I, my understanding is that as of either late last night or, or early this morning, it, it's essentially been rejected or at least has been presumably rejected. I, I don't know if the official deadline or whatever has passed, but like, it's just, this is just, it's so dumb, right? And it's like, we're just living in the dumbest friggin' timeline. Like, I don't know if you saw Elon's um, earlier tweet, I think it was like last, or er, er, either earlier this week or last week, where he was like, "Should we remove the W from Twitter?" It's like just you're fucking say fifty that. years old. <laughs> like you're fifty year old man. Like come on, and you're making titty jokes. Like jeez. But it's like the guy that's sending rockets to space and leading the charge on EVs is making titty jokes. To put it into perspective, like the the guy that might be, can he be president? He wasn't born in the states, right? He can't be president. No, no, no. I don't think he can be president. No, he can't. Uh, a buddy of mine is convinced that The Rock's going to be president, that Dwayne Johnson's in line to be president. I can see that one happening. Not Elon Musk. I don't know. Canada might, have to, Canada might have to build a wall if Elon becomes president of the United States. <laughs> have a great weekend, my friend. It's always so good to see you. Thanks, Ryan. You too. Yeah, you bet. Uh, oh, I should mention, I'm, I'm happy to announce that Sapria's agreed. With, this is, she's going to be our first official recurring guest she's gonna be joining us this is her time slot hey hey fridays 8 40 mountain 10 40 eastern we're gonna check in with sapria devetti every single week uh, for it. her no nonsense intuitive approach to issues and stories that canadians care about and i'm super excited about that uh, i saw a note on the uh, live chat i think it was daniel uh, said uh, that he went into his yeah it's daniel he says i went into the barber uh, they didn't have masks on i had mine and i don't think i'll go back so there's going to be people where, you know, some businesses are going to be making those decisions, whether it's they want to keep their staff safe, protect their staff, or it's policy, procedure, what have you. Um, concerned about what uh, certainly their clients or customers are going to think about it. And, and then other businesses, I mean, you know, obviously, I guess one of the beautiful things, one of the good things about running your own business is that you make your own call based on what you think your customers want, what you think is the right move and the signal or the message you want to send. Is that something on your radar? Johnny, like if you're if you're going into a business or, or, or if you're bringing your like, say, for example, the barber or the grocery store or the dry cleaner, whatever it is, if they are or are not wearing masks, would that dictate whether or not you'd return there as a customer? I, I, I seem to think and I, I like that most places, most restaurants I've been going to and the barber are all wearing masks. And like we said the other day, sometimes I forget now because people are so free. I walk into places. I walked in somewhere the other day and felt kind of like you, the asshole yeah. in the middle and that yeah. but i've always got it in my back pocket i grab it bring it out so. yeah yeah feels like kind of a i don't know a transition out phase but if you talk yeah. to healthcare we're about to talk to three healthcare professionals in our real talk roundtable we'll open with this they, they're not coming on to talk about masks but they're also just real life humans that have real life lives and so we'll ask them about it in just a second first i want to remind you that this is a great time of year uh when people think of spring you think of new starts and fresh beginnings right uh, maybe turning over that new leaf or starting a project that will bring you fulfillment why not start your search for that fulfillment uh, to ramp up your qualifications to open new doors at Athabasca University Canada's online university with world class accredited online programs check this out at athabascau.ca you can check out the courses the programs that offer you the flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle 
whether it's healthcare, uh, it might be artificial intelligence, maybe it's human resources, maybe it's geography. I mean, whatever. Athabasca University, the reason they're drawing thousands of students from across the country is if you want to hammer down and finish a semester's worth of work in one month, you can do it. If you need to take six months off to help your parents with something, to give yourself a mental health break, you don't fall behind. You're operating at your own pace at AthabascaU.ca. Our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park would like me to announce from the rooftop that the very <laughs> cherry chip blizzard has arrived. Yeah, that's right. This is the full cup of cherry and choco chunks blended to perfection with their world-famous creamy soft serve. Life is like a bowl of cherries. Playful, sweet, even slightly tart at times. But why settle for just cherries alone? This very cherry chip blizzard combines delicious sweet cherry and decadent choco chunks. So stop into your favorite Dairy Queen, whether that's Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, or in Sherwood Park at Baseline Road. And when you order your very cherry chip blizzard, it's so fun to say, you let them know you heard about it on Real Talk. Same goes if you're happening to swing on by St. Albert or Sherwood Dodge this weekend to browse their new inventory, to browse their pre-owned inventory. They've got it all. If you're downsizing based on your fuel cost, if you're upsizing based on the growth of your family, maybe you need something to pull your boat this summer, their selection, number one, because they can share those inventories at their Sherwood Park and St. Albert Dodge locations. You can tap into them, do your search online before you see them in person by visiting the sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. And our friends at Eden Landscaping know that, hey, sometimes your front yard doesn't look exactly how you'd like it to. Maybe you're in a new subdivision. Maybe there was just nothing done with that yard before you moved in. You've got your cookie cutter lawn that's struggling to make it every year. Maybe your next door neighbors have that perfect sort of wild grass perennial look going on and, and you've got that one pathetic tree. You love it. It's trying its best, but it's just not working. Now's a great time to visit landscapeedmonton.ca and ask them more about their urban butterfly yard approach. Think beyond just a front lawn. Bring back the purpose to your yard with Eden Landscaping. I thought I'd let the studio That was band. beautiful. I, I wanted to let the band finish. As an audio guy, that was... Yeah. You did your job today, right? Well, and you could tell. I looked to you, uh, made eye contact for your approval. Uh, and the band doesn't want us talking over them all the time, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's National Medical Laboratory Week. It can be tough to stay on top of all the weeks, right? But this one jumped out at us. Because, of course, we do know that we're into year three of a pandemic. We're into the sixth wave of a pandemic. And we spend a lot of time talking to researchers, talking to scientists, talking to doctors, physicians, ICU docs, infectious diseases doctors, just like yesterday. But you know there are so many professionals, quite frankly, behind the scenes that have been keeping our healthcare system afloat. They've been keeping it functioning, not just over the past couple of years, but before that as well. So what do we look at? What do we celebrate? What do we observe? What do we need to talk about or learn more about as part of this National Medical Laboratory Week? In this week's edition of our Real Talk Roundtable, I'm thrilled to welcome three uh, medical technologists who are going to give us some insight into the profession and tell us what this pandemic experience has been like for them. 
Shauna Gerlach is a graduate of the University of Alberta's Faculty of Medicine with an undergrad Bachelor of Science degree in medical laboratory science. She's worked in transfusion medicine as a laboratory technologist for 15 years. Can't wait to ask her about that. Ahmed Mustafa is a soon-to-be graduate of the medical laboratory science bachelor's program at the U of A. And he's currently, bit of a big deal, the president of the Medical Laboratory Students Association. And rounding out our roundtable today is Ann Halpin. Uh, Ann's got a bachelor's degree in lab medicine from the University of Alberta, a master's degree in public health from Trinity College in Dublin. How cool is that? And she's just about uh, to earn her PhD in transplant immunology in the Faculty of Medicine, the Department of Pediatrics at the University of Alberta. She's worked and has as a laboratory technologist in Canada, the U.S., in Ireland, and she works in the area of the clinical lab that currently does compatibility testing between organ donors and recipients. So basically, these three are helping save lives on a daily basis. Thank you all for joining us this morning. Uh, Shauna, we'll start with you. So it's it's National Medical Laboratory Week, and I think for a lot of people, this is going to be maybe our first opportunity to really dig into and learn more about what you do. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. I spend a lot of time on Twitter talking about politics and whatnot, and I very rarely have the opportunity to talk about what I spend the rest of, of a, you know my life doing, which is working in a lab. I think I should probably throw in your Twitter handle right now so people will go, oh, my gosh, that's Shauna G of AB Poly. That is, is. Y- yeah, you're all over Twitter when it comes to your your political takes, but but you, you, you kind of, you don't dig too much into your profession. Do you try to keep the two separated? I, I definitely do. Um, you know, I sort of view my life often as, as little components, and, uh, and lab medicine is my passion. It's um, something I, I love the opportunity to talk about. Um, and I'm really excited to finally get to talk about it publicly here. Awesome. Very cool. Uh, Ahmed, uh, before I ask you about your career, uh, your profession, uh, your role in, in student leadership, can I just clarify something? Are you the same Ahmed Mustafa who I've, I've seen starring for the U of A Golden Bears football team? Is that you as well? No. That's no, not that's you. Not okay. Because <laughs> you know that. Do you know that there's a, there's a Canadian CIS football player by the same name? I was I, I was like, I got to ask him about this. I got to know. What drew you to the profession? What what drew with with all of the options out there? What was it about this one where you said this is where I want to focus my studies? Yeah. So I was uh, originally uh, an honors physiology major mm. and uh, I was going to the open house just out of curiosity. And uh, I met a student uh, who is currently in the program. And um, they started telling me about it and they were telling me, oh, this bachelor, you know, you get a job. Uh, so I did my own research afterward. And um, yeah, the more I read into it, the more I was really interested. I was like, wow, this is very different from my degree. You get to learn really technical skills and you can apply them right away. And that's what drew me in right away. Cause I thought this is great. Um, you learn things that are so specific uh, and it really pushes you. So I thought that was different from most degrees at the University of Alberta, and yeah, I just applied, and here I am. Amazing, and your life story, uh, this career has taken you literally around the world, I mean, at least across North America and and over to the UK. Did you know, like, sort of straight out of high school, uh, that this was something that you wanted to do? Uh, Yeah, I did actually start this career right out of high school in the sense that I went from grade 12 right into the bachelor's program at U of A in lab medicine, and I really haven't looked back. It's been um, a great way for me to see other parts of the world, to work in healthcare in a way to give back and support patients. And uh, I, much like Ahmed, I felt like I wanted a degree that also was a 
profession immediately. So I, uh, I just love the field that I work in. And I hope that maybe today our conversation will inspire a few other people to think about it. Yeah, well, and, and for sure, I think it'll help people better understand exactly what lab technologists do. And then when, we, when we're talking about, I mean, Anne, you're earning your PhD right now in transplant immunology, and you're currently working uh, to test compatibility between organ donors and recipients uh, when it comes to medical work or when it comes to work in life in any venue. It doesn't get much more important or significant than that, right? I mean, it's a sensitive area for sure when it comes to to donors. Oftentimes, you're dealing with families at a, at a very difficult time of their life, but you're also talking to recipient families and recipients who are receiving a whole new lease on life. Can we talk about the fulfillment factor there? Yeah, I mean, in the lab, one of the struggles in the lab is we don't see patients directly a lot. And that means that we're a bit invisible behind the scenes, as you said in your introduction. Um, but I have had um, a lot through my PhD work and some other outreach had the opportunity to meet families, uh, donor families, patient families, uh, caregivers. And it is most certainly very rewarding and fulfilling to think that, you know, from the lab perspective, that we are a part of that team that supports transplantation, um, which of course is supported by all areas of the lab, not just ours. Yeah. Transfusion, chemistry, hematology, you know, the drug level testing, everything. It's all, uh, all of the lab supports transplant in every way. And, and, I, and I appreciate that you don't just take for granted that the majority of us have no idea what goes into an organ transplant, right? We have no idea how many people would be involved, how many things could go sideways, how many boxes have to be ticked. Uh, Shauna, over the years, uh, like you've obviously had a chance to, to get a, a pretty good sense, uh, I would imagine, not just on your own work, but on the work of the people around you. How has COVID, how has the pandemic changed your work environment, changed maybe the stresses, changed the workload? What impact has it had? I think um, I've talked about this before in that, Prior to COVID, nobody knew what I did for a living. And then during COVID, suddenly everybody was assuming that I was doing it wrong. Um, we, as a profession, hide behind the biohazard doors. And the most uh, you know, common aspect that people see of the lab is the phlebotomist who draws their blood and then their physician afterwards who gives them their test result. And nobody sort of thinks about uh, all of the work and the detail and, and the people that are behind that, you know, that big blank wall from A to B. And so, you know, when COVID hit, suddenly people were talking about lab testing and talking about PCR testing and how do you do this? And, and so suddenly my profession went from being the forgotten middle child of medicine to suddenly everybody talking about it, um, which was both fantastic because, you know, any opportunity that we have to talk about what we do is, is certainly appreciated. But then to suddenly have all of these people with, you know, who, who had never been in a lab who had never, you know, worked with the equipment that we did, that didn't understand, you know, the background and the training and, and the education that we have, mm -hmm. suddenly talking and, and insisting that, that we, you know, were somehow not qualified or, or didn't understand the, the specialized testing that we were performing. Mm. Ahmed, you, you uh, are you in a four-year program, is that right? Yes. So, yeah. and, and is this your last year? Yeah, I'm graduating this April. Wow. Uh, challenging my exam in June. Yeah. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Yeah. That's a really exciting time for you. Uh, for, before I ask my original question, um, are you in a position where, uh, I don't want to jinx you, but but do you kind of, with regards to, to, to jobs and to the employment landscape, are, is this the type of field where you, you, you have a ton of opportunity? Do you have a chance to kind of step right into a job? What does the prospect look like? Uh, the prospect looks very good. Um there's been quite a shortage uh, that's mm -hmm. been exacerbated by COVID already. So um, 
as far as, as it is for jobs, like we're, we're all pretty excited um, and there's lots of opportunities. Uh, so yeah, opportunity wise, it's great. Yeah. So you've had uh, through the course of a four year degree, I mean, like at least half of your time has been through a pandemic. Um, how has that shaped your understanding of what your job will be or, or how has it shaped maybe even your conviction that, that this is what you wanted to do? Did it have an impact? Yeah, um, as far as our training goes, uh, for our first year in the program, actually part of it was cut. Uh, so we did lose a bit of that technical aspect in some of our courses, um, but we made up for it during our clinical year. And the way they did that was that they cut out a lot of unnecessary or not necessarily unnecessary, but extra um, experiences, which took away from that, you know, all those things that we got to learn, but it also fixed the stuff that we kind of missed. Um, as far as that goes, you know, we wish that we had a bit more experiences sometimes, yeah. but we're happy that we came out of the program technically competent. We're able to challenge our exam and um, we're just happy that we're done at this point because we're ready to graduate mm. and uh, work in the field. You know, some of the the email, we appreciate all the emails to the show, um, but but some of them and in particular the message we received from high school students that tune in and, and I always remind them that they're without a doubt uh, on the path to valedictorian and beyond. If you're listening to Real Talk in high school, you know what's up. Uh, but there is a, a young faction of our audience that's super engaged and you're in a unique position, certainly not just as a soon-to-graduate uh, student uh, in University Ahmed, but also president of the Medical Laboratory Students Association. When you look around the the essay there, who do you see? Like like who is drawn uh, to this career field, to this field of study, and 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 what do you think are some of the the qualifications, or what are some of the character traits uh, that make for a good future lab technologist? Yeah, I'd, I'd say the biggest one is being willing to learn and, and to push yourself and. Uh, understanding that being a medical lab technologist is really about lifelong learning. Uh, you're going to change careers. You're going to change disciplines. You're going to learn about a lot of things and things change. The technologies change. Uh, you're going to learn manual methods. You're going to learn automated methods and you're going to learn about things you've probably never heard of before. So keeping an open mind, um, going into it, knowing that you're going to learn a lot and it's going to be really rewarding. It's going to be challenging, but in the end, um, it's all going to be worth it. Yeah, very cool stuff. And did you notice a difference um, when you were working in, in the U.S. or working over in Ireland and then the work that you're doing, obviously, your career here in Canada? Are there are there like dramatic or at least demonstrable differences between how uh, the job is done? Or, or what did you notice with regards to those three different type of uh, work scenarios you're in? Uh, yeah, well, first of all, I'll, I'll say I went to the U.S. because at the time when I graduated, there weren't a lot of jobs. And that is absolutely opposite to the scenario now, as Ahmed said. This is a great time to be studying lab medicine and be graduating from this field because there are so many opportunities now. So for all those high school students or anyone thinking about a career change, I can't emphasize that enough. This is a great time to be entering this profession. And so when I went down to the U.S., I worked in the same field that I work in now in, in the lab that does matching for transplant. And that was great. And I learned a lot of different perspectives not even so much um, the way the lab was different but just different uh, you know um, 
thinking about the science maybe in a different way, different, uh, you know, um, uh, training ability, different ability to go to different meetings and conferences. And when I lived in Ireland, I actually worked in a totally different area of the lab. I worked in the chemistry lab. So that was very enlightening because then I was like, wow, I have to dig deep and pull out all my chemistry knowledge and yeah. apply that. And uh, and also just living in Ireland was great. It was I have dual citizenship with Canada and Ireland. So I got to meet my family there and it was oh. a great experience overall. Yeah. And again, having that portability in this career was amazing. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. And I think that that's what a lot of people would be really interested to hear about as well. If, if there's opportunities to work internationally, um, obviously, as, as Ahmed has stated, there's there's a big opportunity here in Canada and there's a yeah. need here yeah, in Canada. Don't leave. Stay here. Yeah, don't leave. <laughs> I'm not trying to convince everyone to leave. But I mean, what a, what a neat opportunity to be able to take your skill set around the world. Did you have to uh, and, and maybe your circumstance might be different or maybe it's changed since you made your moves. But but with regards to the transferability of credentials and things like that, how, how does that factor in? Yeah, I've written, I've written four different licensing exams throughout mm. my career. So definitely you do have to consider that if you're moving. Um, and, uh, and I think even working in a very specialized area of the lab. So, you know, there's so many different parts of the lab and we all do, we all contribute to healthcare in our own sort of ways. Uh, Shauna works in transfusion medicine. So if you need a transfusion, you better hope that, you know, you're, you're relying, you just know that you're relying on that expertise as opposed to many, you know, um, I'm not sure where Ahmad, uh, Ahmed's favorite area of the lab is, but there's microbiology, there's pathology. And so um, for me, uh, I've written exams specific to my area of the lab, which are, um, which just make, gave me extra confidence and knowledge to do the job that I do every day. It was a is just a choice that I took on. Oh, very cool. Ahmed, do you have a favorite area? Do you know yet? Or are you still waiting to yeah. see? Yeah, I have two. I have uh, hematology and transfusion. Those are the ones that I'm uh, really going for. So what are, what is it about those two that, that draws you in? Uh, so both of them have both manual portions and automated portions, and they really vary from their day-to-day -day work. Um, so with hematology, you can be working on an automated machine where you're running um, cell blood counts and differentials. But you could also be reading the slides themselves and, you know, looking through a microscope or um, using a hemocytometer um, where you're counting the individual cells in a microscope from a CSF sample. Uh, it really, there's a lot there. There's coagulation, which, um, you know, you do coagulation testing and you make sure that everybody's blood is working as it should be. Um, yeah, those. And then for transfusion, it's just the aspect that's manual. Uh, you really have to be focused and, you know, you're saving somebody's life at the end of the day. And that feels really rewarding. Yeah, Shauna, that's how I know that I would be a lousy fit for this profession is that if I screw up at my job, nobody dies. Uh <laughs> Yeah, that's that's certainly a significant concern with what I go to work and do every day. Yeah. Um, I I think what if I lab medicine is one of those things that when you try to explain it to someone, it gets technical very very quickly. And so I'm listening to all of us try and keep this conversation as broad as we can. Because once we start drilling it down, it, it gets really scientific and really specific. Um, usually when I have to describe what I do in a general sense to people, I talk about, you know, all of those lab boxes that your physician is ticking off. And really what we're doing is your physician is suspecting or thinking along a certain, you know, diagnosis train. And what they're basically doing is asking the lab questions, and then we're answering those questions back. So, you know, does my patient have diabetes? Does my patient have a genetic disorder? Does my patient have COVID? Does my patient have cancer? What cancer do they have? 
you know, what, what infection does my patient have? You know, those are really what the lab does is we are answering those questions for your physicians. Um, it's a running joke that, you know, we uh, have been making, you know, doctors look good for 80 years because that's really what we do. And, um, you know, any, anytime we, you know, we, we have the opportunity to actually interact with patients because we, we actually get very attached to people that we've never even seen. I'm sure Anne does. I know I do. You know, when I have a patient in TM that, you know, my first interaction with them is a phone call from STARS telling me, you know, I've got a trauma patient landing in five minutes and, you know, they're going sideways quickly. Uh, from that point through to, you know, when they land on the roof to emerge to the operating room, to ICU, to step down units, I'm following that patient over the course of, of several weeks. And in, you know, in some cases, especially at the beginning, that patient is my entire world for an eight hour shift while I'm, you know, doing my best to make sure that, you know, the, the clinical staff can keep them alive. And I get the opportunity to follow them through to when they, you know, are discharged. There's very few areas in medicine where we have that opportunity. Um, and we get really attached to people we've never even seen. Uh, that's, that's part of, that's, part of medicine that I don't know if I could well the first part of medicine I couldn't do is qualify for med school so that's number one um but but I but in in seriousness um what the three of you do and what the nurses do and the doctors and the surgeons and and everybody else like and I I don't know I, I I get a bleeding heart about a bunch of stuff and I think of like I guess on one hand if you're if you're you know analyzing a a blood sample or, or what have you and and this person is seeking an answer um, and and then you're able to determine it you would feel perhaps like you solved a mystery like there might be a euphoria like you solved the mystery you can give them an answer but also like does your heart sink or does your stomach get a little bit twisted up when you when you find cancer or when you find a, a rare disease or when 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 this person's about to receive a diagnosis that's going to change the rest of their life like is there kind of an emotional aspect to your job that you have to keep at bay Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we'll do say an antibody screen to someone's being listed for transplant. So then we're involved in our area of the lab where we test their um, sort of barcode of their immune system so that we can do that matching piece. Um, but also we're testing them to say, are they going to be hard to transplant? Do they have a lot of antibodies? And when you look at a new patient being listed for transplant, you think, oh gosh, this patient's going to have to wait a long time that you do feel that. Um, or, but then on the flip side, you know, when, when that patient does get an offer that's compatible for them. And I don't even know this person, but I feel so excited for them. Like, oh my gosh, this person's coming in there. We're doing their cross match to chest, test, you know, this final compatibility. And now they're going to get this opportunity and, you know, they're in the same building as me and they're having this life-changing moment. And I'm part of that. And that is, that is kind of exciting hmm. for sure. Yeah. Shauna, have you experienced that as well? I, he I heard you react to the question. I think every, depending on where you work, I mean, TM, we, and, and organ transplant and whatnot, we, we get that sort of reward a lot. Um, you know, and it's interesting that you bring that up. I can remember being a student like Ahmed during my clinical year and uh, was working through hematology. And as Ahmed, you know, referenced, we do a lot of work visually looking down a microscope. And I look over and there's uh, one of the texts and she's literally crying into her microscope. And the reason she's doing that is she's the first person to look down the scope and realize that she's looking at a, at a pediatric patient in full AML. So in particular form of, 
uh, of, of pediatric hemato hematological cancer. And she's crying because yeah. she's trying to report this and she's the first person to know. And she knows what that means moving forward. Um, so sometimes it's very difficult to be the first person to know something. Sometimes it's very rewarding. It's, it's sort of two, two halves of the same coin often. Yeah. I mean, is that something that they cover in school? Like, is, is that, do they talk about kind of, they must, the human side of it all? They, they do talk about the human side. And, and one thing that they focus on is that you actually want to keep aware of the human side. You know, it's not just another patient because we're not seeing them. Sometimes it can be easy to get detached, but really it's really about focusing about the other human on the other side and um, giving it your best attention, your best work for every sample, for every patient. Uh, there are supports. They always tell us there are supports. Um, it, at some point you do... Uh, get you know used to it and you recognize that this is your job and you're actually helping them the fact that you find something is actually a good thing because you're allowing them to get treatment uh, and hopefully you know get better soon but uh, yeah in terms of how to deal exactly with a situation like that um, I don't think they've really covered it extensively mm. um, but we've all seen a slide that kind of shocks us um, maybe even scares us a little bit at first, but, um, we do know that this is valuable work and it's important for the person we're doing it for. Oh, it's, it's literally life-saving work. I mean, it's amazing. Um, I just dropped in on our live chat and there's a bunch of supercharged political questions that I'm not going to ask to any of you because, uh, <laughs> part of, uh, showing up on uh, you know, real talk round table should never get you canned. And so, uh, but, but we do, we do have some really, I mean, unless you want to, but we do have some great comments here from Amber who says my best friend received a heart transplant 11 years ago people like this saved her life thank you for your passion for your job um what about this uh, jillian is uh, a teacher and she says i'm disappointed with how little practical lab experience happens in schools here she says a lot of the types of equipment chemicals that she used when she was teaching chemistry in england are banned in schools here do, do any of you have insights uh i mean maybe even with with your own kids uh with regards to the quality or or the depth of, of the learning that's being done in, in maybe junior high and high schools you're both laughing shauna and ann it's been i've got teenagers so does ann uh it's been a really long time since i've been in a high school science lab sure. uh, i'm laughing because i, I full disclosure uh, i i didn't like science labs in, what? in high school um, which is funny <laughs> Considering what we did, I think it's because um, high school science labs are, are sort of that there's a disconnect, right? That there you don't really see the practical aspect, and uh -huh. and and you know even university, you know general chemistry and general general science labs, not a big fan. Um, lab medicine is different because it actually has a purpose. <laughs> Every science teacher is probably rolling their eyes at, at listening to me say that, but um, you know obviously education funding, uh, you know, is a whole other. Uh, discussion mm. um which i don't know if we're really prepared to have um only you know that shauna <laughs> <laughs> yeah pro probably shouldn't go there um you know if i were to speak to that i would probably talk about how uh, you know lab medicine is not you know when you have career day lab medicine is probably not on that list of, of unfortunately of, of careers because it's not something that a lot of people know about yeah even though we are the second most common healthcare profession behind nurses is that right uh, it is which is crazy because there's lots of us and there's lots yeah. of 
there's lots of former technologists, so um, sort of Anne alluded to this, during the Klein years, um, because of privatization, which we're not going to talk about too much, um, but a lot of technologists were, like, were, were laid off. And it's interesting where some of those people have gone. So, for example, um, Kathy Heron, the mayor of St. Albert, that I know, Ryan, you know quite well, yep. she's a, a former technologist who, who was laid off during those years and left the profession. So, um, you know, political choices do have consequences professionally moving forward that, uh, you know, that always have to be considered uh, hmm. We talk about these things. Yeah, I should I should mention that Mayor Heron's going to be on the show in a couple of weeks. As a matter of fact, uh, I didn't know that about her. I didn't know that about her previous career before entering politics. That's very cool. <laughs> and you, 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 the smile hasn't left your face the whole time. Sean has been talking. So what, were yeah. you were you bored stiff in high school labs as well? Well, it's just so different than what we actually do in the lab. And you know the sorts of things I wish that we did more in school um, were more just understanding how science works like you ask a research question you um you know you do um you plan your experiment you do the experiments you apply for grants sometimes like there's a whole process i was in a lineup in the store and someone was talking to me just like one of those covid conversations you have and he said something about whatever and he said i did my research i said oh me too we like did some pilot studies and then we wrote a grant and then we got some funding and then we did some experiments and now we're analyzing we're going to write it up and publish it i was like is that what you're doing too yeah. and he didn't talk to me again but you know those are the kinds of things that i think we don't explain well enough in school and you know my poor kids they get a lot of this at home from me i remember when they were in elementary school and they would like you know how kids come home they pretend to wash their hands they don't actually wash their hands and so i brought home a petri dish and i had them like touch it before they wash their hands and then after and i put it in the windowsill and then two days i showed them i was like this is why we wash our hands you know wow. like so that's the kind of momming you get sometimes if your mom is very <laughs> professional but um you know those are practical things that kids would like to see so maybe we just need more fun lab in school than, yeah you know. <laughs> absolutely yeah. absolutely I mean you're you're a little closer to your, uh, your your high school experience is a little bit more recent uh how, how did you land when it came to like chemistry labs stuff like that were you, were you pretty keen on it or, or have you found sort of new life or a new interest with this post-secondary experience in high school I really liked labs because they were something different and you know application-based um I will say that we got a little bit more introduction into what research was um in my schooling i remember bio 30 we definitely looked at it a little bit uh but as far as you know labs in medical lab science compared to you know general labs in university or general labs uh, in high school like they're not even close uh, i would say medical lab science and the labs that we have like what you learn is so much more it feels like it has a lot of purpose it's not something that you're learning once and you're gonna forget it's like you learn this keep it in your mind because you might need it later and I think that's what's really awesome about it. Like, it's hard to compare them because they have different goals, right? Like, yeah. or, you know, university chemistry, we were, we were learning techniques to learn the theory behind them. Uh, but for medical lab science, you're learning both. You're learning theory, you're learning the technique, and you're learning actually how that technique affects your results and how to make sure that technique is consistent so that, you know, your product or your result that you're going to report is consistent with other people who are working. And that's one of the biggest things that we have is that we want consistency between all the workers and all the medical lab technologists um, because that's what gives us a high quality result. Very cool. Um, before we go, Shauna, are, did I did I see what I think I saw as you took a sip of coffee? Are you would you would you would you show off your coffee mug for the for the, uh, the audience members? Can we, see, Johnny, can we take it? it? Atta girl. Oh, yeah. 
Look at that. Keeping it real. Keeping it real. There you go. Your Real Talk coffee mug. Very well done. And the and the first edition now sold out diner mugs. So congratulations on that. There you go. Those are bragging rights right there. Well, can I call you Labvocates? Um, and you, Anne's too classy to, to immediately reveal that I just totally stole that from you. But um, <laughs> okay. I want you to promote it. Heaven, yes. So you just these, steal away. <laughs> I will steal away uh, these three Labvocates, uh, remarkable people that are uh, a part of the army that keeps our healthcare system afloat and literally keeps people alive. And we celebrate uh, what each of you and all of your colleagues are doing. If people want to learn more about this, you can check out the Canadian Society for Medical Laboratory Science online. It's at csmls.org. I've got it up on my screen right now. That's csmls.org. That's the Canadian Society for Medical Laboratory Science. We've been talking to Shauna Gerlach, Ahmed Mustafa, and Anne Halpin, soon to be Dr. And helping. Thanks for the three of you and and a very happy National Medical Laboratory Week to you. Thank you, Ryan. It's been great to see the three of you. That's awesome. John, did you feel like you learned something through this? I love these roundtables with uh, the people behind the scenes because, yeah, yeah, I feel like we got we got a lot of different views there from people who are have been in a while. And then Ahmed, who's like. Yeah, climbing the ranks. It was climbing great. the ranks yeah. and and taking leadership, like the student leadership, the president of the of the students association there, and, and very cool stuff. I we want to use real talk uh, in this context, in this capacity. We're like, yeah, sometimes we're going to be talking to the you know the, the the politician or the elected representative for this, and these are the big high level stories about the budget or whatever. But also when we talk about the pandemic and we talk about COVID or we talk about things like organ transplantation and policy there, or blood transfusions, or blood donor campaign. Or there's a million angles we could take on this. Um, as Shauna pointed out, too, these are the faces. These are the people that oftentimes, I liked how she said that. She said, we're the ones that are oftentimes behind the biohazard doors, right? But these are the faces of the people that keep the healthcare system afloat when we talk about things like even contract negotiations. And, of course, we keep them out of the politics of it. That's not why they're here, and we're not looking to get them in trouble. But, but these are the people we're talking about, the people that are showing up to work every single day to do that work, and it's incredible stuff. Before we get into trash talk that's our friday tradition i want to make sure that i have a chance to remind you that there's an opportunity for you to put a little bit more money in your pocket right now courtesy of our friends at park power we hear from some of you almost it seems every single week you're in touch with us and you let us know i finally switched over to park power and i know that it can feel like a bit of a hassle right you're going to have to get out my old utilities bill and i'm gonna have to get my customer or whatever i'm gonna have to get my address and i'm probably gonna have to figure out you know fill out a long arduous it's easy It's easy. You go to parkpower.ca. You can check out and compare rates. You can figure out what you'd be paying for electricity, natural gas, or internet. Uh, You've got some choices. If you want the variable rate or probably our personal recommendation, the fixed rate option. Anyway, decide what's right for you. They're going to contact your utilities provider, the current one. You don't have to break up with them. You don't have to have that awkward conversation. And then the promo code 2022-REALTALK gets you $70 off your first bill at parkpower.ca. How do you save even more money? Well, you go today to kubienergy.ca. You get a free quote online for solar. You figure out exactly what they can do for you to get you closer to your sustainable energy goals. I saw on Kubi Energy's Instagram today, they have a photo up of a church. They just did a huge install on the roof of a church. It's probably going to keep more money in the church's coffers. Maybe they can plug that back into the community, help more people. All of these goals accomplished because they started at kubienergy.ca. And once you get your solar in and then you call Park Power, you ask them about their solar rebate option. 
even more money saved because you heard about it here on Real Talk. Our friends at Friesen Brothers want to remind you they have a fabulous all-you-can-eat Easter feast at Select Friesen Brothers location that's coming up tomorrow on Saturday. $25 a person, all the fixins. You're not going to want to miss it. If the Friesen Brothers in your area, if you want to know if they're one of the stores offering that dinner option, the Easter dinner option from 4 to 8 p.m. tomorrow, that's Saturday, April 16th, just go online to Friesen, that's F-R-E-S-O-N, Friesen.com. And our friends at Infinity Healthcare want to remind you that they are taking the stress out of the home care decisions that thousands of Canadians, in particular Albertans, are making every single week. You have a loved one who does not want to move into assisted living. You've got a loved one that insists on aging in place at home, but you have your concerns. Are they getting their laundry done? Is the house being kept tidy? Do they have someone to talk to if you can't be there? Did they have their meds this morning? Are they eating the food that's being delivered or prepared for them? This is where Infinity Healthcare enters the mix. You can learn more about their team, their service areas, and hey, inspired by our roundtable today, their career opportunities. They're always hiring at infinity-8.ca. You can also link to Infinity Healthcare under the Sponsors tab on our website. Now, each and every Friday, our friends at Local Environmental give us an opportunity to blow off a little steam, to say what we mean, to amplify the message that we want thousands of people to hear. It's a Friday tradition that we call Trash Talk! All right, this one from Cindy, who says, My job takes me across Western Canada, and I do a lot of driving. And the Real Talk podcast has been an amazing addition to my road trips, and I'm grateful for it. Thank you, Cindy. She says, This is just a quick public service announcement to remind drivers if you're in the passing lane driving beside another vehicle keeping pace for more than a few seconds you are single-handedly interrupting the free flow of traffic and you need to move the f over she spells it out e-f-f you need to move the f over she says i'm not a maniac behind the wheel i take my 10 percent or so above the speed limit and i'm a considerate person i'm not a road rager i'm not an overreactor and i'm pretty sure i'm speaking on behalf of thousands if not millions of canadians when i say if you're in the passing lane and you're not passing gtfo that from cindy how about this one this one from josie who says I know that there's war being fought on foreign soil and there's children living in poverty and there's people struggling through this pandemic just barely making it and I realize all of this is serious and not at all funny and I recognize that my concerns are trivial but they're also valid and real and if this non-stop wind and snow and ice doesn't buzz off soon I'm going to lose it like Charles Barkley in a casino bring on spring that from Josie I feel your pain Josie this is what trash talk is for you can blow off that steam so you can stay focused at home and around your friends this one from Devin, who says, Jess, while I was listening to your show yesterday, I heard you talking about realizing that you were the a-hole in the... Everybody's going PG-13 on Trash Talk today. I kind of like it, actually, because there's probably families tuning in right now. They're home for Good Friday. They don't need the salty language. So anyway, Devin says, you were the a-hole in the room when you found yourself between two people wearing masks over the week. I find myself in this situation often. The last time I was in my local drugstore, I was running in quickly to grab some mouthwash. I threw on my trusty N95, and as I waited in line, I had a lady tap me on my shoulder. I turned around and had her say to me, you know, you don't have to wear that anymore, honey. I nodded, and I turned back around. A moment later, I got another tap on the shoulder from the same lady who asked this time, isn't it hard to breathe in that thing? 
So I told her, I have no problems. She said, I can't stand them. So now I'm getting a bit annoyed, says Devin. He says, I could lay into her about how I'm trying to set a good example for my kids. I could let her know my grandfather's immunocompromised or how I still don't feel safe being out and about just yet. But why should I have to? Why am I being made to feel like the a-hole in the situation when cases are on the rise again and the flu's out here wreaking havoc too? Have we learned nothing over the last two years? Have we forgotten to simply be kind to one another? At the very least, realize we all have different stories, lives, and different reasons for wearing masks. I'm going to wear mine, says Devin, until I find a comfort level that I'm okay with, until my family feels safe, until I can meet with my grandfather and not worry about killing him before his 90th birthday. Happy early birthday, Gramps. Devin says, be kind, wear a mask, or don't. I'm not out here bothering folks about their life choices, and I don't want to be hassled for mine. But if I was, I would say mask up, be safe, and as Dr. Marklin said on Real Talk yesterday, don't be a turd, get your third. I love that. Says, peace and love, and I mean it. Signed, your friendly neighborhood mask-wearing a-hole. That's from Devin. Very well done. And this one from Maddie. I like this one. This is not so much trash talk. Maddie said maybe this could be trash talk. I said I like it as a closer on this Friday. He says, uh, pardon me, there's no spicy language. Perfect fit. What is this? I don't think we have to. Oh, no, Supriya was dropping a bunch of F-bombs. We still have to say explicit on this edition of the YouTube release. Oh, yeah, thanks a lot, Supriya. Although I think I probably swore to at some point. It's tough to keep track. Maddie's like, would you just read my frickin' email? Sure, pal. In seeing and listening to your interview with Max Fawcett, always great to listen to. There was one thing that stood out for me, says Maddie. When talking about Alberta's, Alberta's recent luck with high oil and gas prices and what to do with that money. Now, we should all be careful to not talk about this windfall as a win or as a benefit. This win is coming completely at the expense of Ukrainian lives and the destruction of a country. It's war profiteering. And any public figure or politician talking about this as a win should be ashamed of themselves. It's blood money. The Ukrainian community in Alberta and all Albertans should be outraged that the Premier and his cohorts are championing the increased funds over the bodies of the people of Ukraine. This is from Maddie. says, a truly ethical and moral leader would look at the situation and say as a result of Vladimir Putin's crimes, this province is seeing benefit. We cannot and should not take joy in this. It's coming at the expense of innocent lives and culture lost from a dictator. We had price projections before the invasion. So what we're announcing today is that the increased funds from this differential increase will be sent to Ukraine. If Putin wants this war, then he can pay for it twice in increased funds to fund the war against him. Anyone in this province seen championing higher oil and gas prices as a result of this war says Maddie should be ashamed, should be deemed a war profiteer. And if that pisses people off, it says more about them than they'd like to admit. Now, Maddie says, of course, this isn't going to happen with any government. doesn't matter the policies or the politics, but mostly one that's shown no moral or ethical backbone in history, especially not one that's made such a large mission to enrich the oil and gas sector at every turn, one so eager to post about increased oil prices and profits over which they had no control. He then signs off. Have a great day. That from Maddie, who closed Trash Talk this week. These are real emails received to talk at ryanjesperson.com, and we thank you for them. Coming up, we're off Monday, Tuesday's show. We're going to talk to that female firefighter that tendered her resignation at a council meeting in Leduc, citing the workplace cultures. Megan's going to join us on Tuesday morning, plus the photographer behind this phenomenal book, Octopus, Seahorse, Jellyfish, David Litschwager from National Geographic, our guest on Tuesday. Have an amazing long weekend, friends. Thanks for making Real Talk part of your daily routine, and we'll see you again soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. 
Technical producer, John Hicks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Lawrence Sterlego. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sakria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.